This is a podcast by The Straits Times. The COVID-19 Multi-Ministry Task Force yesterday announced that from next Monday, September 14th, Singapore residents will progressively receive trace-together tokens. The nationwide distribution exercise will start in two districts, Jalan Besar and Tanjung Paga. The new contact tracing tokens will be distributed free of charge. Here are three things to know about the device. First, how does the Trace Together token work? Well, users can carry the small token in a bag or in their pocket. And the token exchanges short-distance Bluetooth signals with nearby tokens or handsets that have the Trace Together app and this interaction is logged into the devices. All logs are encrypted and logs older than 25 days will be automatically erased. If the user becomes infected with COVID-19, the device will need to be physically handed over to the authorities to extract the data needed for contact tracing. Where and when can I collect my token? Well, collection of the tokens will begin in areas with a higher proportion of seniors since they are more vulnerable to COVID-19. These are the areas where distribution will begin next Monday, including Buena Vista, Potong Pasir and Queenstown. Residents in areas including Badok and Yunos can collect their tokens from September to October. And from October to November, residents in areas including Bukit Batok and Bukit Panjang can pick up their tokens. The tokens can be collected at the designated community centres or clubs. Now you will need to present your original identity document with barcode during collection. And you can collect the tokens on behalf of your family members by producing their identity documents. For more information on the collection, you can visit the Token GoWare website. Whom can I contact if I need help with my token? Users who require assistance with their tokens can email to this address or call the hotline on weekdays during office hours. We're pleased to welcome back Professor Chiu Yik Ying, Dean of the Saucy Health School of Public Health at the National University of Singapore. Professor, plenty of things brought up in last night's press conference, from the distribution of the Trace Together tokens, to resumption of more senior-centric activities, to heavier fines for first-time offenders in the F&B sector. What was your biggest takeaway? Thanks for having me again. Actually, it was the overall message that came across that was important that Singapore is preparing to put in place all these necessary safe management measures at the population level to ensure that many of our activities can carry on safely. So if you look at what was also announced this week around the plans for some of the MICE event, the Meetings, Incentives, Convention, Exhibition, I think Singapore is clearly positioning itself to move towards a state of normalcy that will allow our travel, our trade and our business activities to resume to a much larger extent. And for that to happen, we really need to have in place the measures in the community and in settings that are most susceptible to drive community transmission. And this is really why there was a particular focus last night on the F&B sector, because we know from local global data, this is one of the most common settings for community transmission to happen. And the other aspect that is important is that as we allow more activities to resume, is the ability to shut down community chains of transmissions as quickly as possible. And this means we need to have a much better way, quicker way of performing the contact tracing. And this is the reason why we're moving towards the use of trace together and to distribute it to the whole community. 
Prof, let's zoom in to the details of yesterday's press conference. We want to get your thoughts on something Second Minister for Manpower, Dr Tan Si Ling, said yesterday. Now, let's have a listen to that first. Now, many of the dormitory residents are COVID naive. They've never been infected, so they continue to remain susceptible to COVID-19. However, we are prepared for this. We have put in place a multi-layered strategy to detect as well as to contain any new infections very quickly and very decisively. Can you perhaps uh, shed more light on what Dr Tan has said? Do you agree or disagree with him? So there are two aspects here to what Minister have said. First is the extent of spread within the dormitories. Second is the multi-layer measures that have been put in place. So on the first issue regarding the extent of spread in the dormitories, I believe the Ministry of Manpower will have the findings from the test that were performed to clear the dormitories. And based on what we see presently, it does suggest that of the entire population of foreign workers, there is still a substantial proportion of them that remains susceptible to be infected. That is why the second point that Minister said about the layers of measures to protect everyone in the dormitories is especially important. I would actually classify the measures put in place in the following three manners. The first is around surveillance. And this really includes the fortnightly testing of all the residents in the dormitories, including as well as the wastewater sewage testing. This repeated test will help to flush out any infections, particularly the asymptomatic ones that happen to slip through the earlier tests that were used to clear the dorms. Because some of the infected people were still in the incubation period when this batch testing to clear the dorms were performed. The second is really around control. And this includes the contact tracing, identifying who are the exposed workers, the ability to isolate and quarantine them very quickly to protect the rest of the, the community in the, in the dormitories. The third is around prevention. And this includes the safe management measures that are in place at the work sites, at the dormitories, to really reduce the chance that people will be infected. Now, the multi-ministry task force said that since the dormitories were declared cleared uh, nearly a month ago, there have been an average of 45 workers testing positive daily uh, and 12 clusters have resurfaced in the past week. Now, in dormitories that were previously cleared of the virus, that sounds to me like a second wave. What say you? Well, it really depends on what we define as waves of infection. WHO has actually explicitly warned against such classifications and really it is just a name. I think the reality is we want to stamp out any infections whenever we see them, be it sporadic cases, be it cluster of infection, or be it widespread transmissions that's happening in the dorms. Our strategy remains the same, whether we call it a second wave or whether this is just the tail end of the first wave. Let's look at uh, the other aspect that was brought up yesterday during the press conference as well. Now, just this past weekend, seven FMB outlets in popular night spots uh, were found not complying with safe distancing measures. Now, each outlet has been fined $1,000. Why is the FMB particularly bending the rules? So, let us first reinforce the fact that the setting where people come together for a meal without mask, where there will be the inevitable mealtime conversation, Duration of contact is likely to be high since we do take our time to finish the meals. These are exactly the high-risk settings that we know being extremely conducive to spread infections. We talk about the three Cs. Closed spaces, typically referring to air-conditioned and closed environments, crowded places, and closed contact settings. 
F&B outlets will fulfill two to three of these three Cs. And this is the reason why there are very strict rules for the F&B sector. And for this sector, it's really, it comes down to a matter of competition. That if the restaurant next door is willing to take the risk and illegally allow groups of more than five to make bookings, then customers may actually take the business to this adventurous restaurant instead. And this is why safe management measures have to go beyond just implementation, but there is also the need for enforcement by the authorities and for sanctions to publish to punish those that flout the rules. This way, the playing field becomes more even and there is instead huge dis disincentives when trying to test the law. And I think it's important to realize that worldwide, we see sensible governments, including those from Hong Kong, New Zealand and Australia, they clamp down on the F&B sector as the first layer of control whenever there is a resurgence. And there's a reason why the rules are there. It is not to penalize the operators, the owners of these eateries, but really to allow a viable compromise where there is still the opportunity for businesses to continue while minimizing the risk of infections. I will just end off by saying that if Singapore doesn't control this well, if eateries just become adventurous and there's very little enforcement, they may thrive for a few weeks where they bring in a lot of business. But when community infections spike up again, we may have to go through another painful circuit breaker all over again. And I think this is much more damaging to businesses, to livelihoods, and not to mention the overall reputation of Singapore. Well, we've been speaking to Professor Chiu Yu Ying, Dean of the Sosikok School of Public Health at NUS. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.